Alright all you movie junkies, it is time for the SLS Cast, with your hosts Matt and Tim. And welcome one and all to episode 116 of the SLS Cast. Yes ladies and gentlemen, it is the Book of Lehi episode of the SLS cast because it turns out that the number of pages in the original manuscript of what Joseph Smith Jr. said was the translation of the Book of Lehi of the Golden Plates revealed to him in 1827 is 116, otherwise known as the Lost 116 pages. And with that little bit of Book of Mormon knowledge for you, this, of course, is Matt. And coming to us from California, from maybe Spider-Man Town, but maybe something else town, from Columbia, from all over, maybe even from Japan, courtesy of Sony, it is. Yes, I was born, bred, and raised by Sony technicians. They thought about making the Bionic Man, and they thought, no, we'll make Tim instead. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I am Tim. I am movied out, man. I don't know about you. I, I came home to a recap of the red carpet, and I walked up and I punched my TV in its face. I was so... I, I'm over it. I'm done hearing about <laughs> the bling that people were wearing, about Oprah's boobs... Being on display for everyone to look at. I don't know about you, Matt. Are you are you over it? I, I feel it. To me, this is like 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 the last day of Christmas. You know, like with you. You, you know, once it's uh, January first, you turn off all the Christmas music. That's how it You're is with cute. me with Oscars. January first, try December twenty sixth. Oh, so it's literally it's right after Christmas. Yes, I am all about Christmas from the day after Thanksgiving. I love the Christmas music, play it all the time, we watch Christmas movies every day, have fun, all that kind of stuff, but by God, when Christmas is over, it is over. I don't, I just, yeah. So yes, I'm just completely movied out. I literally, I, I think I have finally found that I don't like January anymore. The Academy Awards ruined it. Well, at least we don't cover like the Golden Globes and the SAG Awards and the Producers Guild Awards. And no, but fourteen fucking movies in two weeks, I think, is a bit much. True, but we did watch some good ones, which is a plus, I guess. True, you watched a lot of good movies. Yes, I did. So, did you do anything else fun and exciting this past weekend other than preparing for the Academy Awards? No. I worked, did school, that was it. I didn't do anything else. Trying to even think, yeah. Played some games on the computer. The computer? The computer. Did you name it that because you watch a lot of pornography on on that computer? No, but that does actually lead me to a piece of... uh, I'm going to just have to take that segue into some news of the weird real quick. Sure. Um, from the Inquisitor.com, uh, we, we see this lovely, lovely little bit of news. Fifty Shades of Grey arrest. An arrest, mind you. 
masturbating female handcuffed after pleasuring herself in cinema. Yes. Hmm. I just thought that was... Yeah. Uh, it happened in Mexico, oh, as it turns out. Okay. Yes. Oh, because I was going to ask, what state was that in? <laughs> yeah, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? One rather excited Fifty Shades of Grey moviegoer was so invested in Sam Taylor Johnson's adaptation of E.L. James's novel that she was caught masturbating in the cinema. Rather than being celebrated for truly demonstrating the spirit of Fifty Shades of Grey, the woman was actually thrown out and then arrested for her actions, which was probably the treatment that she deserved. Now, I don't happen to have an, uh, an author handy here for this courtesy piece here. Um, oh, look, I believe this was a Gregory Wakeman. Okay. Uh, but, Mr. Wakeman, I must ask you, why the fuck was probably put in that sentence? Which was the treatment that she deserved. It's pretty simple. So, Did she yeah. get to finish? I mean, that's what I want to know. Well, oh, well, then let's find out. Like, was it like a courtesy? Did, were they like, well, you know what, guys? Let's let her finish herself off. Then we'll move in. True, true, yes. Well, La Verdad, via movie pilot, uh, have reported that the incident unfolded in Sinaloa, Mexico, and the 33-year-old woman who was found guilty of inappropriately pleasuring herself in such a crowded location was immediately ousted from the cinema for her actions. It has also been reported that the woman who uh, was sat on the 12th row of the movie theater, which suggests that she didn't plan to get so carried away with the film when she took her seat. Uh, other moviegoers in the screening room soon alerted staff to the woman's actions, and after she was taken away by the police, she was charged with public indecency. Um, so, I, I mean, it sounds like she had time to finish. Now, whether or not she was successful in her endeavor, it is not said. Was it a crowded movie theater, or was it like a, a midnight showing? I don't know, but this is definitely not the time to go Paul Rubens on... A theater, it, you know, it's not during a showing of Fifty Shades of Grey when it's first coming out. Literally, even if it's on your computer. So, wow. Anyways, how was your week, sir? Did you do anything fun? A lot exciting? of variety. Uh, I saw uh, Billy Idol last week. How's he doing? It's been a while since uh, talked to good old Billy. Everybody has been asking me, like, "Oh, how's the concert, man?" and the one, the best way I can describe it, after I say that I felt incredibly weird watching it, because uh, I was only I, I went by myself to go see him, and it was like watching the most spectacular Las Vegas cover performance, because he was that good. He had like I cannot tell you how many times he exposed himself he to the good, audience. He was good enough. To cover himself? Well, it's like, I meant that because he looks and acts and sounds exactly like he did 25 years ago. Like, his... So we're not going to credit, you know, good vocal work and strong ethic. We're going to credit lip syncing, I guess? <laughs> no. No, I don't think he was lip syncing. I just think that I... So it's like a weird paradoxal twilight zone thing kind of happened and he he drinks from the fountain of youth daily because he exposed his bare chest and stomach multiple times throughout the uh throughout the length of the 2 hour performance and i got to say 
His body never stopped glistening. Like, like the sweat never stopped glistening from his nipples. Like, once he took off his shirt, like, two minutes into the show, he was sweating. So I wonder, it's like, is there plastic surgery out there where they, 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 they put, like, permanent sweat on your chest for these no, aging rock stars? No, it's not permanent sweat. It's called the Mattel treatment, and basically they just make you look like a Ken doll. So it's just a sheen. It's, it's light bouncing off, much like it would on a Ken doll. And that is what gives him the glow. He told me about it the last time that we spoke. Well, what's also great is that I bought a shirt. I bought a show shirt afterwards. You bought his shirt, did you? (laughs) I mean, you had to do something after, you know, adoring his nipples for two hours. He said, I'll tell you what, mate. I'll let you buy my shirt. He said, sure. And I bought it for that- ten bucks, and I and it wasn't sweaty, <laughs> which was amazing. It wasn't sweaty, but no, I like to go out in uh, in front of the venue where every everybody is like bombarding you. You know, you take one step out of out of the venue when you're about to cross the street to go get your car, and people are like ten dollar, ten dollar shirt, ten dollar shirt, and they run after you. And it's like not only one, but it's like twenty five people trying to get you to buy their ripped off T shirt. And I got to say, you know, for Ten dollars, you know, it's a pretty damn shirt, and that's usually where I buy all my show shirts. Uh, I'm not condoning that anyway, in case I get hired by some hip recording artist who's trying to make money off merchandising. That will never happen, so I'll continue buying my ten dollars shirts. And but it is the gayest looking shirt I've ever bought after a concert because it's him ripping open. His shirt, exposing so, his sweaty so this, chest so nipples. Specifically, this would be the happiest shirt you've ever purchased. I, I, I mean, if you know what, if you are happy, Matt, owning a shirt where Billy Idol is making an O face and exposing his nipples, then yeah, it was the happiest I shirt think, I've ever. You know bought. what? I think I could be happy paying ten dollars for that. Well, I will give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> We could put it up next to my Jersey Boys poster. I know. Are you going to ever get that? I still haven't gotten haven't? yet. Oh, no. Johnny White Trash. I'm telling you, Johnny's dropping the ball. Yeah. He showed me a picture on Twitter. He said that was the closest he could find. I said, I'm waiting. I haven't gotten it yet. Yeah, he needs, now he has to do uh, How to Drain Your Dragon, too. <sighs> Before it becomes copyrighted. That's right. He, he, has, to, he has to do how, how to Drain Your Dragon, too, on a Jersey Boys poster while wearing an O-faced... T-shirt featuring Billy the Idol. visage of Billy Idol. And I know we're With running nipples. a little bit late already, but there's one more thing I have to mention. We went to a midnight showing at Tarantino's New Beverly Center, and they did a midnight... There was a midnight showing of Paul Williams's Phantom of the Paradise, which is an amazing movie from 1974. Highly recommend it. Awesome music. Well, while we were sitting there... Waiting for the movie to begin, I like to listen to the conversations that are going on around me because you get a whole you get a, you get a, you have an eclectic group of people that go to these midnight showings, not only at the New Bev but everywhere else. But one thing that I couldn't help that made me just want to pull out a piece of paper and pen and write this down was this young fellow who said that this movie, meaning Phantom of the Paradise, was his favorite movie, which is tied with Popeye. And Manhattan. Now, what does it say about that 
fellow, that young fellow who feels like his favorite, his three favorite movies are Fan of the Paradise, Popeye, which I assume he's talking about the Rob Williams movie, and Woody Allen's Manhattan. Do those three movies have anything in common? Whatsoever. I think you should have, I think, honestly, you should have gotten some form or fashion of Smithsonian agent to come and capture him and preserve him as the original hipster so that someone, so that people could reflect on this time period and see what the original, much like we have Cro-Magnum, right? This would be the Cro-Magnum of hipsters. <laughs> and as such, this specimen should be preserved. <laughs> because only 2015 hipsters would consider Popeye as their all-time favorite film. Yeah. It just got me. It tickled me, Matt. It tickled me. It tickled me as much as Billy Idol himself, as he was dancing with himself on stage. Awesome. Yes. Well, now that we have definitely made everyone sorry that they've been missing our little banters at the beginning of the show, shall we go ahead and get to the news? We must. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go, folks. It is the news. First up for me, we're going to go straight to the Dear God Will You Let It Fucking Go department. First up, from Justin Kroll and Variety.com, new alien movie confirmed with director Neil Blomkamp. Yes, or Bloomkamp or however he says his name. How do you say his name there, Tim? You're in love with him. What's his Blomkamp, right? I am not in love with him, not after Elysium. District 9 was a fantastic film, but I, I think it's Blomkamp. Okay, we're going to go with that then. 20th Century Fox has closed a deal with director Neil Blomkamp to develop a new alien movie, sources confirm. The untitled sci-fi project is separate from Prometheus 2, which Fox is still making with Ridley Scott. Blomkamp, who directed District 9 and the upcoming Sony feature Chappie, had been teasing the project in recent months, but said the extraterrestrial reboot was likely abandoned. It was supposed to star alien veteran Sigourney Weaver. But... On Wednesday, Blomkamp confirmed the tentpole was back on track at Fox. Quote, So I think this is officially my next film. End quote. He confirmed on Instagram. It is unclear whether Weaver is still attached to the movie. And she's probably not. Because, according to Dan Aykroyd and NME.com, He says that there's a conventional Ghostbusters 3 that could happen after the female-led reboot. So clearly she's got to wait and and make sure that she can do Ghostbusters 3 first, and then she can come back and do another Alien movie. I'm not kidding, folks. Yes, again, NME.com. Dan Aykroyd says conventional Ghostbusters 3 could happen after female-led reboot. Dan Aykroyd has revealed that he is still hoping to make a conventional sequel to his uh, two original Ghostbusters movie. <sighs> In a new interview with SiriusXM, Aykroyd revealed that he believes the robot, uh, the, the robot, 
<laughs> Rhubarb, mama, little baby, love short. All right. Uh, let's see here. Revealed that he believes the reboot will, quote, reinvigorate, end quote, the Ghostbusters franchise and hopefully pave the way for a third film starring the original cast. Quote, there's three drafts of the old concept that's uh, that exists and we're going to be able to salvage some of it and use it yeah we're gonna be able to use it someday (sighs) let's get this one made and that will reinvigorate the franchise and then we'll go on to maybe doing a more conventional third sequel as we were planning and another idea i have for it end quote um i dude Mr. Aykroyd, we love your body of work as a whole. And as a as a fan, I, I've I've got to tell you, please stop. Tim, do you have any words? comments concerns about either of these two articles yeah okay so first off before Blomkamp or Fox asked Blomkamp to do the movie he had a well what triggered that was that he posted a series of concept uh, of concept art that he produced and on a number of those concept pieces it included Sigourney Weaver and I think with him especially with his relationship with him uh, with uh, Sigourney Weaver that he has during the movie Chappie I think he's expecting Sigourney Weaver to be a part of it especially if it's going to be a sequel to the Sigourney Weaver uh, storyline of the Alien films in regards to the Ghostbusters 3 stuff I agree man you just got to let it just let it go because I watched this interesting little little clip little I, I think this it's like a little mini series i don't know really what to call it i think it's called like on it's on cineflix or something.com or it might be a youtube page actually and what they do is that they show you how famous shots or famous scenes of movies like how they were made uh, for instance i watched how the stave puffed marshmallow man scene not only was made but how it actually came into fruition And what I learned was that Ivan Reitman was the one who came up with, pretty much came up with the concept of how it was going to be shot and how to incorporate it in the film. Even though Dan Aykroyd was the one that came up with the idea of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But Ivan Reitman was the brains behind it. In addition to that, Dan Aykroyd also wanted all these ghosts, all these ghouls, to uh, to uh, to be included throughout the entire movie, not just Slimer and the you know the few ghosts that you see in the montages, but he wanted these big, budget, over the top, giant monsters to be in the film, and he was very adamant to include all those. But again, it was Ivan Reitman and the other producers that were like, no, we can't afford it. We have to do something else. So Ivan Reitman kind of took the reins and you know figured the stuff out. That and also cocaine apparently helped out as well. Now. Seeing that Ivan Reitman might not be involved with the third Ghostbusters movie, and I don't see cocaine being involved in the third Ghostbusters movie. Well, hang on. <laughs> hang on. It's a ghost movie. You're telling me that Ivan Reitman couldn't come back for this? I mean, no, he could, but I don't know if he <laughs> if he would. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like the same thing. It's like uh, Ghostbusters worked great in the 80s. You know, Ghostbusters 2, 
uh, though it's entertaining, you know, I mean, it's, I, I don't know, like, this movie should have been made in the early 90s for it to have actually worked, especially Harold Ramis has, had passed away. All of them are older. Bill Murray is, let's face it, he's too good to come back and do this stuff. I don't mean that to uh, to knock Dan Aykroyd down or anything, but the times have changed. We don't need reboots. We don't need a rehash nostalgia. We just, you know, move on. Dan Aykroyd should, you know, make something else. Do a TV show. Do something else non-Ghostbusters related. Create another sci-fi show. Do something else. It's okay. We'll like it. Go for it. Do it. Cool. So what So what do you got there, sir? Matt, one of your favorite movies that we reviewed years ago, and we can say that now, it's years ago, was Rubber. Yes, the, the, the tale about the Hitchcockian tale about the killer tire that was out for blood. Well, it turns out there is a unofficial sequel to the movie. In fact, there is no mention of Rubber whatsoever. It's not made by the same people. I just wanted to tie Rubber into this somehow. Only because what I'm about to tell you is a short film about an object that we encounter weekly that is hell-bent on killing human beings. Instead of a rubber tire, this time around we have a shopping cart. That's right, this is from io9.com, a gory, goofy short film about a murderous shopping cart out for revenge by Lauren Davis. And again, this is a short film. This is directed uh, by James Feeney, and the short film is called Killer Cart, and he's a part of the Florida State University College of Motion Pictures. And this is a part of a short of the week, a website that, what I what I get from looking at it, every week they release a new short that has been made, a really good short that is made. And I gotta say, you know, for what it is, you know, it's gory, it's fun, it's 14 minutes and 47 seconds, and it's about a killer sharpening cart. Something that we all take for granted, and that we abuse, we push it around. And if anything was going to come and seek revenge and kill us and eat us with its metal front griddle plating, it would be the killer shopping cart. So yeah, you can check this out at shortoftheweek.com or at io9.com. And I'll just read this little blurb about it. Yes, you read that right. A grocery cart, sick of being abused by humans, comes to life in the horror comedy short film Killer Cart, and it wastes no time taking its wobbly-wheeled revenge on the grocery store's closing staff. End all quotes. So, basically, it's not quite the sequel so much as a spiritual successor. Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's it's the unofficial, unofficial, unofficial spiritual successor of Rubber. Indeed. And shorter. <laughs> well, you know, rubbers are pretty short, generally speaking. <laughs> That's not what Billy Idol said. <laughs> yeah. All right, so next up here. Uh, from Friday.com, courtesy of Brent Lang. Jupiter Ascending Flops. Why the Wachowskis' failure is bad for movies... What? No! No, that's the wrong damn story! No! Oh my god, no! That's not what I meant to read. 
Oh my god, that's embarrassing. So you can go there and check that out if you want. We're not covering that story at all. We have something related to Jupiter sending flopping, though. And I'm going to go ahead and read that now. From the playlist, which comes to us from blogs.indiewire.com, courtesy of Kevin Jagernauth, Netflix chief says four-hour cut of Cloud Atlas will blow you away. And Wachowskis doubt they'll get big studio budgets again. Yeah. So, Jupiter sending it tanks. But perhaps the Wachowskis had already seen the writing on the wall. Their latest cinematic effort reportedly cost well over $175 million, which is franchise money for studios these days. But the duo were using it to spin a tale about a spaceman dog, a Russian janitor princess, and something involving Soylent Green. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Critics largely savaged it. Audiences were disinterested. And the Wachowskis realized that uh, that may have been their last time playing with a couple hundred million dollars on the studio level for a while. <sighs> Lana Wachowski said, uh, told the Wall Street Journal last month, Every, quote, everyone says, why can't you be simpler? We're drawn toward difficult subjects like the disparity of rich and poor. We've been lucky. People at studios have been interested in our crazy, strange brand of complexity. And we've been allowed to keep making them. Will that continue Probably not, end quote. Quote, but it was a good run, end quote, Andy added. But luckily for the siblings, they found a believer in Netflix chief content officer Ted Serendos, who is backing the duo's upcoming new series, Sense8. It's another big, ambitious, globe-spanning offering from the Wachowskis, spawned from their distinct and unique imaginations, along with Babylon 5 creator J. Michael Straczynski. And Serendos believes that the episodic format will serve them better than trying to fit their vision into a traditional cinematic box. And his evidence... Apparently, he has seen an extended version of the Wachowskis and Tom uh, Tykwer's Cloud Atlas, the duo's previous expensive underperforming effort. Quote, It's the best four hours of anything we've done. Their film reviews have been brutal, and everything after The Matrix didn't go well. But if you look at earlier cuts of their films before they had to jam them down to 120 minutes it's amazing there's a four hour cut of cloud atlas that will blow you away end quote now he is also saying the best four hours is about sense eight but good god there's a four hour version of cloud atlas i you know i i guess I'm willing, I mean, I don't know, I like a lot of what Netflix is doing, so perhaps maybe Mr. Serendos actually has, uh, you know, something up his sleeve that we don't know about, and maybe he he is correct here, but I don't know, Tim, what do you think? Do you think that a four-hour version of that movie would, would, would be better than what we got? Sure, I like the movie a lot, and if... I mean, one of the, the, I guess, positive things I can say about it, one of the many positive things that I could say about it is that I could have watched another hour of the movie. You know, if they have another hour or so, minutes, you know, they can add on to the movie, I'm down for it. I mean, it's a really good story, and it was great performances, especially, so I'm interested. So so then you are automatically going to give Sense8 a chance? Yeah, 
Definitely. I mean, I think they're great storytellers. I haven't seen Jupiter Ascending yet, but I would like to. And even their, like, even Speed Racer, you know, a lot of people hate Speed Racer, but I have to commend them for trying. You know, if you were going to make a live-action movie of that trippy-ass cartoon, that's how you were going to make it. Well, I will say this, that, you know, in terms of our my news of the weird from earlier if you're wanting to risk pleasuring yourself in a traditional cinema format i think going to see jupiter ascending is your best shot because that should be a pretty empty theater so <laughs> anyway all right what else do you got and there, you have Seth? channing what? tatum too so <laughs> that's true well for me it'll always be mila kunis but uh hey whatever <laughs> Uh, what do you got there, sir? Alrighty, so I got a double header right here. The first one involving Spielberg and Chris Pratt. Now, what movie, Matt? I gotta ask, what movie do you think Spielberg might want Chris Pratt to be in, in which Spielberg would be directing? Hmm, Jurassic Park Five. Oh, actually, you already know this answer. It's Indiana Jones, <laughs> a reboot to Indiana Jones, because as we all know, uh, after we seeing... should totally reboot this franchise. Yeah. <laughs> After seeing yet another thing in need of rebooting, is one of the greatest tentpole trilogies of all time. Well, I, so. in some way, I don't think it's going to be a reboot as much as maybe a continuation. I, I, I'm hoping they're going the James Bond route, or they will do the James Bond route because okay. You know, well, if they do go that way, let me ask you then: if they do go that way, how do you think they're going to explain the absence of Shia LaBeouf? Because you, they were totally trying to set that up so that he could pick up where Dad left off. Sure. Well, how does James Bond do it? He has all these lovers at the end of the movies, but they're nowhere to be found in the next movie. Not saying that Shia LaBeouf was his lover. We don't know that he lover. does not practice safe sex. <laughs> he might practice safe Fifty Shades of Grey. All right? You don't know that. that. That is true. But I hope they go the James Bond route and... Take, I mean, they, they can take the story back to the 40s, uh, to the 30s even. Not necessarily pick off, uh, pick up where things left off, but just, you know, just go on some, uh, some other fun, crazy, very uh, pulpy action adventures. But this is from a Deadline.com article. Steven Spielberg hopes to, to direct Chris Pratt in Indiana Jones reboot, written by Mike Fleming Jr. And it says this, Exclusive. Last month, I reported that Spielberg wants Chris Pratt to anchor the rebirth of Indiana Jones that is being developed at Disney. It's very early days, but my sources tell me that, assuming a script comes in to his satisfaction, Spielberg hopes to direct the film. He directed the first four with Harrison Ford as the swashbuckling archaeologist. Word from Spielberg's camp is that it's too early to determine what will happen. Because there is no script yet, and they are just getting going. It makes a lot of sense, though, as Guardians of the Galaxy star Pratt was Spielberg's hand-picked choice to be the star of Jurassic World. So I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like a sure thing right there, if it is going to happen. Next up here, uh, from IndieWire.com, via the playlist... Richard Linkletter says a possible Boyhood sequel is in the other Paramount likely to distribute his next. His next film uh, is entitled That's What I'm Talking About. 
that's kind of his uh, follow up to Days and, and Confused. Whereas you know Days of Confused was the seventies, you know, uh, rock and roll, basically Richard Linkletter's high school years, and that's what I'm talking about is Richard Linkletter's college years throughout the eighties. And what I find interesting is that that's what I'm talking about is supposed to be uh, was kind of like the unofficial sequel to Boyhood in a way because Boyhood ends when he goes to college, and this movie would begin. When that when eight when characters are actually in college and they're you know it's going to be music filled like Days and Confused, so that's why I'm saying it's supposed to be like I guess the spiritual brother of Days and Confused and Boyhood. But this article says this at the end of the podcast, the director is asked if he'd ever consider a sequel to the movie, and for the first time, he seemed open to the idea and admitted, much like during the early gestation of Boyhood. The ideas were now percolating to the surface. Quote, To be honest, the first film met its audience exactly a year ago, and for the first six months of the year, my answer to that was absolutely not. This was 12 years. It was a first grade through 12th grade. It was about getting out of high school. I had no idea about another story. There's nothing to say. It hadn't crossed my mind. But I don't know if it's been a combination of finally feeling that this is over or being asked a similar question a bunch over the last year that I thought, well, I wake up in the morning thinking the 20s are pretty formative, you know? That's where you really become who you're going to be. It's one thing to grow up and go to college. So I will admit, my mind has drifted towards the sequel idea, end quote. So what do you think? I mean, I guess there's really nothing to think because I mean he's I mean I mean not and he admits here that it, it probably it doesn't have to be like following somebody for twelve years. Later on in the article or in this podcast, he mentions that it doesn't have to be you know twelve years in the making. That it can be an accelerated story. You know, it can be a year. It can be two years. It doesn't have to be twelve years because you know a lot can happen in your twenties, especially in your twenties. So, you know, I, I'm down. I think it's interesting. I think he's a good filmmaker, though I think Boyhood wasn't, like, his best film or the best film about growing up or Boyhood, for that matter. You know, I think he has a, he kind of has a knack for this stuff. I mean, I could be biased because I'm from Texas. I'm a Houston boy as well. So what do you think, Matt? I mean, is this something that you'd be interested in seeing or? No, not him. Not, 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 not a, not a s- sequel in the sense of, following the the next immediate phase of life what i think would be fun uh or would make a good sequel would probably be um like fatherhood you know um to to see if he makes the same mistakes with his kids that his dad made with them uh did he learn from the mistakes is he his own informed person um what kind of wife would he choose uh, based on how the based on how his mom chose partners, um, I think that that's the kind of subject matter that would probably be a good follow up if you're going to follow it up, and that's definitely something that you do not have to do over the course of twelve years again. I, I just am worried that something that was such a wonderfully unique and beautiful concept and an attempt at filmmaking that's never been done before will be turned into a gimmick. And I would 
caution that this should be something that would should be done sparingly, if maybe not ever done again. All right, so I'm going to let's see here. I've got uh, some comic book stuff here uh, from Variety.com for real this time. Let's see here. Courtesy of Mark Grazier and Brent Lang. Spider-Man. How Sony Marvel will benefit from unique deal. This was an exclusive for them. Now, Tim told you a few weeks back that there, that it was breaking at the time. That, oh my gosh, there's actually going to be Spider-Man and Marvel stuff now. So here is the actual breakdown. Marvel Studios won't pay Sony Pictures for the rights to put Spider-Man in Captain America Civil War, the Avengers franchise, or its other superheroes films as part of its new partnership with the studio, according to sources with knowledge of the deal. At the same time, Marvel won't receive a cut of the box office for any of Sony's films that feature Spider-Man. Sony won't receive a percentage of the revenue Disney makes from the Marvel films that have Spider-Man either. Now, ostensibly what you can take away from this is that there's just going to be one spider-man now and that this spider-man is going to be shared between the marvel films and sony's films which which this is good for everybody because now you've got the one spider-man so you don't have to worry about recasts and all this kind of crap but now sony gets to make all the money they can make off of it and have an entire you know franchise that's all their own and now spider-man can be splashed into marvel cinematic universe where he belongs and disney gets to keep that money so yay good good uh good on both sides and it does go on to say that the next step for sony of course is to recast spider-man so my hope that they were going to at least attempt to finish out this trilogy is apparently out the window the studio is looking to go back to spidey's roots and put the character back in high school which would require to cast a younger actor variety has learned andrew garfield is no longer playing the character so tim um just real quick on this one is that surprising to you no i mean i'm not a big fan of andrew garfield so I'm down with that, and they also said it might be a, a, a an African American Spider Man as well, which should be kind of interesting. Cool. All right. Well, then, uh, continuing on here from People.com, courtesy of Kelly Bender, eleven-year-old girl's letter to DC Comics starts movement for more female superheroes. Yeah, Rowan Hansen of Champaign, Illinois, has ordered reading about superheroes. I'm sorry, has adored reading about superheroes from a young age. But as she started to grow older, the 11-year-old noticed something was missing from the pages of her comic books. Women. Like a caped crusader, Rowan decided to take action, writing an eloquently worded letter to DC Comics, questioning the lack of female superheroes and why current female characters like Wonder Woman don't have more roles in movies and TV, reports today. Quote, I love your comics, but I would love them a lot more if there were more girls. End quote. The fifth grader wrote in her plea to DC, quote, I asked a lot of people I know whether they watched movies or read books or comics where girls were the main characters. They all said yes. Please do something about this. Girls read comments. I'm sorry. Girls read comics and they care. End quote. Rowan's parents, both English professors at the University of Illinois, which now makes me doubt the veracity of the eloquently worded letter, <clears throat> told today that their child takes on gender inequalities in the superhero world made them stop and think as well. Now, 
DC Comics responds to this in a very classy way. Uh, in tweets, they had tweeted, quote, Thanks, Rowan. We, we agree. We're working hard to create more superhero fun for girls. And, yes, Rowan, girls read comics too. Wonder Woman movie and Supergirl TV both in the works with more exciting girl power announcements soon. End quotes from the Twitter feeds there. So that got me looking. Well, gee, many. And they also did a really cool um, comic drawing of Rowan as a superhero. So I thought that was really classy of them to do, but that did, of course, lead... Wait, Wonder Woman movie? For sure? For real? Well, from Deadline.com, yes! Courtesy of Mike Fleming Jr., Wonder Woman Gal Gadot circling... Keeping up with the Joneses. This is an exclusive for them. Gal Gadot is in negotiations for the Fox 2000 film Keeping Up with the Joneses. The Greg Modola-directed uh, pick scripted by Michael Lesur. Now, it goes on to say that Gal Gadot will be next seen in Lion Gate's Criminal in August and in September, the movie Trip 9. She also uh, she plays Wonder Woman in Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and then films Wonder Woman in the fall. Um... Uh, that's that's pretty fascinating there for me um, that they are actually going ahead without having done uh, without without people having seen Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and there's actually going to be a Wonder Woman movie um, and, and again kudos to DC for responding to that young lady what do you think Tim? Should they be going ahead with the movie? Sure. At this point, why not? It's it's a great PR move. I have to admit, it's it's a great PR move. To spend hundreds of million dollars on a movie just because an eleven year old asked you to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all knew it was there was going to be a Wonder Woman movie. It's like we all know that there's going to be a Hulk movie, but we kept being told, no, there's not going to be a Hulk movie with. Uh, with Mark Ruffalo, but he admitted that there is going to be a Hulk movie, so of course there has to be a Wonder Woman movie. Superhero films need, they need a movie like Wonder Woman for various reasons. Um, and I think, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but it, I think definitely a PR move more so than a box office move. And I'm excited. I'm glad they're going to make a Wonder Woman movie. In fact, I am curious to know how they're going to do it and how they're going to pull it off. Because, to me at least, Wonder Woman is different than all these other superheroes. I mean, it, she's different from Superman. Because at least with Superman, you think of super, he's from Krypton. He's from this alien planet. You know, Wonder Woman is from... I'm sorry, she uh, Amazonia? Yeah, she's like, I believe it's she's like an Amazon princess or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and so like where where she's from and you know in the group of ladies, you know, you know women inequality, women hear us roar and then she comes here and it's like holy shit, this is <laughs> this is not right. You know, it'll be very interesting. I think uh I mean it, it could be a, the the most political superhero movie for sure. So Absolutely. And and I, I agree on that. I'm actually very excited to know that for sure it's coming. It's now announced, and um, that's good. I, I mean, I grew up with the comics. I loved watching Linda Carter when I was a kid. And, I mean, hubba hubba, right? But even besides that, it was cool. I didn't even understand at that time that there was such a limited role for for women as superheroes. I grew up with Justice League. I grew up with all this stuff. So for me... Um, it didn't click 
but I had been exposed as a young kid in as I grew up watching superhero movies and TV and all that kind of stuff with at least having one woman. So I think it's great. My daughter loves Wonder Woman. She is a super huge Wonder Woman fan. Um, and and even now she, my old star, even she watches Justice League and everything. So um, I'm excited too. I'm very interested to see how this is going to turn out. So yay! Wonder Woman! Wonder Woman! So if we ever change the opening to our show, we really ought to get those like very funky jazz, 70s Motown little guitars, you know, going. (laughs) Yeah. What else you got, sir? All right, so to close this out, I'm just going to mention this one thing that kind of sort of pertains to the Oscars, because after today, I don't want to talk about the Oscars for another month. <laughs> Just a month, huh? or, or perhaps. Well, because you know that maybe know, ten. The Oscar race <laughs> technically starts three days after the Oscars end. So, yeah. Okay, so Matt, if I were to ask you, you know, who is thanked the most at an Academy Award at the Academy Awards? Like, who is the one person that is thanked more so than anybody else? Who would you say? I would immediately assume God or some ver- some form of that thank the lord you know thank my savior thank whatever you know no but however i do like that texas twang you put whenever you did that though thank the lord thank the savior you know <laughs> you totally did that it's hilarious okay well this is through uh, screencrush.com via vocative or vocative And it says, according to a post over at Vocative, the most thanked human being in the history of the Academy Awards is Steven Spielberg. Of the 1,396 acceptance speeches archived online, 42 of them mention the Jurassic Park director. A number of those thank you surely came from the cast and crew who took home statuettes themselves for films like Schindler's List and Lincoln. But some of them come from admirers and winners who simply cite him as inspiration. And I'm going to read the list of the top ten people that have been thanked by the recipients of the Oscar. Number one, Spielberg with 42 thank yous. Harvey Weinstein with 34 thank yous. James Cameron with 28, George Lucas, 23, Peter Jackson, 22, God comes in at number 6 with 19, Fran Walsh, 18, Sheila Nevins with 17, and Francis Ford Coppola and Barry Osborne with 16, and finally Martin Scorsese and Saul Zantz with 15 thank yous. So yes. To crack the top 10, okay, with my guess. <laughs> I'm I'm happy with that. I can tell you I never I would never have guessed that it would have been a director. But I mean that does make sense because when they when these are all prolific directors and producers who um get just so you have like 27 people and 26 of them are like, "Oh, well yeah, you know, thanks 
Steven Spielberg, appreciate that. And then Steven Spielberg makes another fucking amazing movie. So 32 more people and then nine of them, right? You know, so, yeah, that makes that makes sense. I could see how that would work. I want to see the list of how many people have cracked a green card joke at an Academy Awards. Probably just Gerard Depardieu and Julia Louis-Dreyfus from their movie Green Card. And Sean Penn from Last Night. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Well, um, I- I'm sneaking this one in because it just I, it must be said uh, to completely end the news from FlickeringMyth.com, courtesy of Luke Owen. Mark Hamill asks for managed expectations with Star Wars: The Force Awakens. "Quote: I'm telling you, it's just a movie." End quote. Um, yeah, I'm just going to read the quotes. This is du- this is all him talking to Hero Complex <clears throat> about backstage security, and then of course the movie itself quote oh my god it's just crazy town first of all the security we had problems before with people leaking stuff but i was saying to them is it really necessary to put on this giant robe with a hood that hangs down to your chest to go from my trailer to the sound stage they said drones i said you're kidding really believe me it will be here before you know it forget about it that's my advice look forward to all the summer movies i'm telling you it's just a movie these people that build it up in their minds like it's going to be the second coming of i don't know what they're bound to be disappointed end all quotes so thank you for that sage advice jedi skywalker And I guess that's it, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. <laughs> All right, so now it's time for our uh, bonus segment, which is our Oscar detox. Woosa. Rubbing the earlobes. Woosa. Um, all right, so I guess you have the list from last week, right? Because I totally wasn't even thinking about it and didn't type it down. I sure do. I had the results. Even when I listened back to the, even when I listened back to the episode, I didn't write it down. That would have been smart either time to, to write it. Right, but I didn't. All right, so uh, we're just going to go top to bottom. I'm here at oscar.go.com slash nominees. We're, we are, of course, this is the 23rd of February, so the Oscars happened yesterday, naturally. Well, first I got to ask, do you have any like favorite things that happen during the uh, during the Oscars that you wish to talk no. about? Or any surprises? Or Oh, I was honestly, uh, I was really and truly impressed with Lady Gaga doing the Sound of Music thing. Yeah, I, I was like, "Wow, that was actually pretty classy." Did not see that coming, um, and I think people <clears throat> uh, with the whole um, gazebo thing that Adina Menzel did, I thought was hilarious. Uh, and people, I think, are misinterpreting John Travolta, you know, rubbing her face and everything. Like, you know, they were like, "Oh, he was face raping her" or something like that. And I'm like, guys, I, I think that's the whole point was because it was so creepy what he did last time. He was being creepy on purpose again, you know, to rub it in. Um, so I thought it was, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but other than that, I was not. I don't. I really didn't. I generally don't care about the award shit. Yeah, I liked J.K. Simmons' speech. I, I mean, I liked... Oh, the, yeah, the mom thing, yeah. Yeah, the, call, I think that was know, really cool. Yeah, t- thank your mom, call your dad, you know, let them talk to you. you know, let's just listen to him for however long you want to let him talk. Yeah, because apparently um, he had nothing planned, and he kissed his wife, and on the way to accept the award, he just kind of came up with that, which I thought was pretty... pretty. It was different. Um, and the, One thing that I also noticed while watching it is that 
there weren't a lot of people that were thinking like the Academy or thinking the studios or thinking their directors, which is kind of interesting. Like even with Patricia Arquette, who, uh, who, who was talking about, you know, women's rights and did all that. I thought that was very interesting because there was a whole slew of people that kind of went up and just said whatever the hell they wanted and you weren't, like, bogged down listening to, well, I want to thank my agent, I want to thank this producer, and these people, and this one. But they actually went up and said something, which I thought was pretty interesting. That and Neil Patrick Harris wasn't all that great, I thought. He did a pretty decent opening number, which I think Jack Black saved. But other than that, yeah, it was a very... Drinking and being with people definitely helped the Academy Awards go by. I, I gotta say. Huh, maybe that's what was missing for me. Drinking and being with people. <laughs> we we could have Skyped. We should have Skyped watched it. Oh, well, put that down in the little notes and we'll try that next year. Yeah. Here we go. We're, I'm just starting at the top here. We're just going to work our way to the bottom. Uh, we'll do them in reverse order. <clears throat> as, they, as, as opposed to how they were presented. Because, you know, Best Picture goes last. Well, Best Picture's going to go first. So, here we go. All right, so the winner... Do we do we want to say all the nominees again? No, 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 no. no. We'll just say uh, okay, all right, okay, good. Yeah. all right. So the winner was Birdman. Um, what did you pick, Tim? I picked Boyhood, and I know you picked Birdman. Okay, that's like the only one I got right. Okay, so <laughs> <clears throat> actor in a lead role, Michael Keaton got fucking robbed, as far as I am concerned. Although, I think he knows he got robbed, too, because there's actually footage of him p- putting his acceptance speech away <laughs> after they call it he read Maine's name, which I thought was kind of funny. I also um, liked how he's chewing gum, like, excessively throughout the entire the entire show. Yeah, well, nervous habit. Yeah. What are you going to do? Maybe he's... But I, I wonder if, like, was he chewing the same piece of gum the entire time, or did he change it at it's all? It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's entirely, you know. So, yeah. Okay, so... Eddie, Re- Eddie Redmayne won. I picked Michael Keaton, who, and you picked Eddie Redmayne. Yep. So there you go. Uh, all right. You are also correct. An actress, I picked Reese Witherspoon. I was surprised. I'm glad Julianne Moore won. Don't don't get me wrong, but I am surprised. I've thought for sure uh, Reese Witherspoon had it. So Julianne Moore won there. Actor in a supporting role. Um, did I officially pick Ed Norton? I can't remember. I, I know that we both on. agreed J.K. Simmons was going to get it. Hang on, I have it. I have it right here. Let's see. I, I think I wanted Ed Norton to win, but I expected J.K. Simmons to win. Exactly. You, we both said yes. J.K. Okay. So there we go. Yeah, I got two. All right. Um, and oh, and on an interesting side note, I got a buddy of mine here. Uh, his name is Nathan. And is he sitting right he, next to you? Is he literally he is there? Right now. Yeah, I've got a buddy of mine here in the area of Texas. And um, he, uh, apparently Alamo Draft House was doing a drawing, uh, the one in Katy. Uh, you could go in and submit um, your picks for uh, best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, and best supporting actress. And the, the people who got the most picks right got two passes a week for a year. Oh, wow. And he got them all. Oh, he, wow. 100% right. Wow. I was like, are you shitting me? Serious? Now, you did know. he watch all the movies, or was he just kind no, of No, like- he didn't even watch all the movies. He was, like, reading polls on the... on Because uh, he's like... Yeah, I was like, wait, you're telling me you picked... You, you, you... 
pick Birdman to win Best Picture? He's like, yeah. I was like, you didn't even see Birdman. He's like, well, I have it. You didn't watch it. And he's, so he's like, well, I was looking at like the New York Times and LA Times and USA Today. I was looking at all these internet post- polls and stuff of, and looking at the people that everybody was picking. And then I made my j- picks off that. I'm like, oh, you're, oh, it's just, it's very irritating. But I think I'm going to get to go see some movies with him. So I guess that's okay. If he, if he wants to do it. Who wants to do it that way? Uh, anyways, okay, so moving along. So, yes, J.K. Simmons, actor in a supporting role. So, yay there. Um, Patricia Arquette. Winner, actress in a supporting role. Um, that does not surprise me, although I did want Emma Stone to win. Did I make her my official? I think I did make her my official. You pick, did, did yes. Not? Okay. All right. And then, as we both feared, Big Hero 6 was the animated feature winner. But Matt got it right. I thought we both picked that one. No, I picked uh, How to Train Your Dragon. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. There you go. Okay, so Big Hero 6 there. All right, cinematography, Birdman. Now we're getting into blur status for me. I don't remember who picked what from here on out. <laughs> I got, Yeah, we both did Birdman for cinematography. We both did Birdman for cinematography. Okay. Yeah. Costume design, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, let me find that one. I picked Grand Budapest. You picked Into the Woods. Oh, okay. Okay. Very good. Very good. Uh, Directing. Now, this one I was surprised at because I knew Birdman was going to get Best Picture. So I picked Boyhood for Best Director. I am really surprised that Birdman got this. Did you pick Birdman? I did. I picked Alejandro Inarritu. Okay, and don't get me wrong, I'm super stoked that he won. I'm just really surprised. I, I thought for sure that with the getting best picture, um, they were going to at least give Boyhood. But but man, the Boyhood just kind of got shafted at that point. Uh, all right, so documentary feature. Um, I grudgingly picked Citizen 4-1. I know I grudgingly picked that. Uh, you picked that just flat out, right? I yeah I picked that but you chose uh you chose tangerines oh no 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 I lied no you, I you said tangerines that? was one that you wanted to win no tangerines isn't tangerines is foreign language film this oh we documentary picked documentary feature. uh I'm on drugs yeah we're both on season four <laughs> okay the septic tank has come back <laughs> ah, round two okay documentary sorts that we didn't do that okay film editing. Uh, did we not both pick Whiplash? I don't know. No, remember. we both did Boyhood, though I really wanted Whiplash to win, and I wish I stuck with my guns on that one. Okay, what did I want to win? I can't remember. Um, I can, I had that on my other sheet. I can look that up real quick. Oh, I thought you just kept the whole sheet and just checked off the winners. No, I, I spent my lunch rewriting everything and, oh. and making little tallies and, I, I made a pie chart. <laughs> oh whatever that's fine i just i thought you were just writing them out and then you were just checking off the winner so you just have the same sheet but you did have boyhood you you wanted boyhood to win and you thought boyhood would win okay well there we go all right so foreign language film oh look ida won oh surprise yes i wanted tangerines to win um did i think tangerines was gonna win yes okay uh makeup and hairstyling uh, Really? I, you couldn't have even thrown Guardians of the Galaxy of the Bone here? I mean, that's some bullshit. 
But Grand Budapest Hotel won, which I believe you picked, or did you pick Foxcatcher? I picked Foxcatcher, and you did Guardians. Yeah, so we were both wrong on that. Guardians, uh, Grand Budapest won there. Music, Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, which I got. I got that what one. What did I pick? You did, uh, you how chose... Would I, not, um, how would I have not picked that? Oh, you did too. You got. We both did Grand Budapest. Okay. Let's see here. Okay, and then uh, music, original song, Glory did win. I was really wanting, I was really wanting I'm Not Gonna Miss You to win, but um, I don't remember what I actually settled on. Was it, was it I'm Not Gonna Miss You? Yeah. Yeah, you, you okay. chose that one. And, and then I, you chose Glory, didn't you? Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Production design, winner, Grand Budapest Hotel. Who, who picked what? Let's see. I did Grand Budapest, and you did Grand Budapest as well. Sound editing, American Sniper. Yeah, I did Sniper, but I have here that you chose The Hobbit. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right, because I thought that was the only chance that it had to win for anything was would have been that one. Exactly. Okay, that's why I picked that. All right. Sound mixing, Whiplash. Oh, look. Yeah, yeah we both did Whiplash. Yeah. Um, okay, visual effects. Oh, look, surprise, Interstellar. Yes, Matt got Interstellar, and I did, uh, I chose Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yes, yes. All right, writing, adapted screenplay. The winner was Imitation Game. Yes, I chose Imitation Game, and you chose Whiplash. All right. Uh, writing, original screenplay, Birdman. And neither of us got this one. I got Budapest, and you chose Boyhood. Okay. And that's it? So, sounds like we were pretty okay at it. <laughs> yeah, I I have, uh, I got 15 right, and Matt, you got 9 correct. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> all right cool well then i guess that's gonna take care of the little oscar detox and bring us to the last bit next week we are coming back with our regularly scheduled programming and we are going to be bringing back a feature we have not done for a while which is ultimate letdown a movie that for whatever reason we were just really into that just eventually we were like wow totally upsetting and let us down and then, of course, we were left with the movie. So, we've got three movies this week. We've got Predestination, Joe, and Chef. So, where do you want to start there, sir? How about uh, Predestination? Alrighty, Predestination, uh, written and directed by the Spirit Brothers. Uh, it is based on All You Zombies by Robert A. Heinfein and stars Ethan Hawke, Sarah Snook, and Noah Taylor. Um, this is about a time-traveling agent who is going back in time to catch an infamous terrorist known as the Fizzle Bomber. Um... It, uh, it then, and that's really all you can say other than the path that the agent goes on to track down the Fizzle Bomber uh, 
creates a paradox of a certain kind. And that's really all you can say without spoiling any of the major aspects of the movie, including how it's gonna how it plays out, uh, and exactly why things are happening the way that they're happening. Um so I, I will just sum up this review very quickly because the more you say about the movie, the, the bigger the chance that you have to spoil it. And with time travel movies like this, um, where they are literally intricate to the entire plot, it's just safer to say less, especially when you want people to see it. Um, I think this is a very good movie uh, It's in terms of it being a really uh, interesting thriller. And I think that it is a... Um, something that a lot of people are going to enjoy. However, I found this movie to be terribly, terribly predictable. And I will give... But but even still, I enjoyed the movie. Three and a half stars. Now, I want you to stop here because from here in the next couple minutes, I am going to spoil the movie. So, spoiler begins. Five, four, three, two, one. Here we go. Now... This entire movie revolves around the fact that one person is essentially creating what's called a predestination loop. They are every character in the movie starting from the beginning that revolves around the center of the plot. The problem is, is that just like in the Terminator, just like in the Harry Potter, just like every fucking time travel thing, they screwed up the entire genesis of the deal okay Ethan Hawke and Sarah Snook are the exact same character uh, due to genetic flaws uh, uh, Sarah Snook is actually born a girl but has but is basically uh, a fully functioning hermaphrodite it's just that the male genitalia had been stored ostensibly underneath the uterus uh, due to a plot development later on in the film that allow that she finds out after she's had a baby, they she she has to have a hysterectomy, but they then do reconstructive surgery that allows her to have a penis. Um, due to some flash, some fire stuff and everything with genetic modified stuff, because it's all time travel, so they can borrow technologies and everything. Uh, there's reconstructive surgery done, and that is what creates Ethan Hawke's character. Um, but it all starts off with a baby being dropped off at an orphanage. And Ethan Hawke, uh, and basically Sarah Snook, has sex with herself, creating the baby that is born that turns her into a man. Ethan, And then, of course, Ethan Hawke has time-traveled back um, after Sarah Snook's male visage is burned in a fire... Uh, and takes the baby and drops it off to start the whole paradoxical circle. All the while, uh, Ethan Hawke's character, who is supposed to be retiring, becomes the Fizzle Bomber. So you have this complete cycle that's happening over and over and over again. The problem is, is that there's one character, and I believe it's played by Noah Taylor. Yeah, he plays Mr. Robertson, which is this, which is this guiding character who kind of runs the temporal agency that. Uh, he's an agent for that Ethan Hawke's character is an agent for and he he's one kind of guiding Ethan Hawke along 
and allowing these things to happen in the hopes of finding this fizzle bomber. But even he knows that it's not the fizzle bomber that's important. It's all of the ex extemporaneous stuff that occurs from the bomber uh, that he learned from the actual fizzle bomber himself or herself. The thing is, is that the loop is created by having Ethan Hawke set the baby down at the orphanage. That starts the whole story for Jane, for John, for unmarried mother, whatever. You can't, that's, that's not possible, because to create the loop in the first place, someone else would have had to have put the baby down. I get it. That's why it's called a paradox. It's not supposed to make sense. But the thing is, is that you had a way out. You could have let Mr. Robertson be the initial person who sets the temporal agent loop up and sets the predestination paradox into play. You, all you had to do was start the movie by showing him put the baby down. And then in a later scene where you actually see Ethan Hawke at the hospital about to steal the baby and Mr. Robertson appears and is like, hey, aren't you not supposed to be here? Oh, well, I only just take, make jumps every once in a while. You could then see where he's making the handoff to actually create the loop to happen. But they don't do that. And it just grates on me because it ruins the whole time travel thing. Which is why I say that there's going to be a lot of people who will like this movie. Um, and I liked it anyway. I thought it was really creative for the most part. Aside from being predictable. So there's the spoilered version. And Tim, go ahead. Yeah, I thought this was a good movie as well. And for most of the same reasons, that's why I took off some points. Uh, it, it is very predictable. I definitely agree. And as I was watching this, I was thinking of this other movie where, you know, it's like, oh man, I'm trying to think, there's this one movie that I saw years ago, and we talked about it a couple Halloweens ago, we were talking about uh, vampire movies, I believe, and, you know, it's a movie with a great premise, Ethan Hawke is in it, but it was just super predictable, and the movie just gets a little hammy at moments, though Predestination was so much better, the acting is hands down better than this other movie, and I thought, oh, what is it? Daybreakers! So I finished watching Predestination, and then I look up Daybreakers, and I scroll down, and I look at the directors, and it's the same directors! Now, what's good is that they've made a better movie, and they've kind of graduated, in, in a sense. Both of these movies are beautiful looking, you know, they're well made, they're well shot, they're super talented, it's just, the, they need to work on their storytelling, and the story arcs, and the twist endings. You know, there, there needs to be a little bit more thought into it. And that's really my only complaint. I give this one 3.75 uh, a little bit more than Matt, just because of the merit of it being just a well-made movie. And the heart was definitely in the right place, and I can't count off for that. But when it comes to time travel movies, it has to start somewhere. So that was one thing that really didn't bother me with him with the baby. It's that it had to start somewhere. And in a way, and I agree. I mean, actually, I did. I was trying to think of another way they could have done this whole thing. And Matt, I mean, I think in a way you nailed it on the head. Uh, that definitely could have worked. But that didn't bother me so much. Again, it was just the predictability. And I don't want to say hamminess because the movie really isn't hammy or corny. It's just predictable and it's predictable in the spots where 
it definitely should have broke this movie, but it doesn't because, again, there's some great moments, great scenes. Sarah Snook is a fan, is a great actress. She was really good. She pulled off the character really well. And same thing with Ethan Hawke. It was great, especially the there's these long, drawn-out scenes between the two of them where they're talking. And they're great scenes. I, I enjoyed it. So again, I give this one 3.75 out of 5. All right, so we've got Joe and we've got Chef. Where do you want to go, sir? Let's see. How about Chef? Okay, Chef. Definitely my favorite uh, movie of this week. This is uh, directed and written by John Favreau. It's kind of his return to simplicity, you know, kind of the roots of filmmaking. And studies a uh, guy by the name of Carl Casper. He's a head chef at a, uh, at a, at a very decent restaurant in L.A. And um, he is up against the wall uh, on one of the largest food critics uh, and most popular food critics not just in the L.A. world, but definitely even on the internet and everything. So, after uh, basically being more or less kowtowed by his boss, um, he goes against his gut, and then, of course, it bites him in the ass in the review section. He learns from his son, he's divorced, uh, but he learns from his son about Twitter. And through an inadvertent message because he's playing the he's overselling the technologically impaired dad uh ends up challenging this uh reviewer to a rematch so to speak so uh it goes viral and the guy shows up and then shit goes down he ends up losing his job and losing his shit and then decides to kind of Re, re hit the reset button not just on his chefing but also on life and through that has a tale of uh, father-son bonding of life of love of learning and kind of figuring out what the fuck you should do when life throws you a pretty big curveball uh, you've got some great cameo appearances by Dustin Hoffman and uh, Robert Downey Jr. And you've um, also got uh, some, and I guess Scarlett Johansson, more or less. She plays a very minor role. And then you've got great supporting cast by um, John Leguizamo. And I believe his son, right, is played by MJ Anthony. And I liked this movie. I really, really liked this movie. It was poignant for me. It really spoke to me on certain levels, personally, and with relationships in, in, within my family. Um, it was just so refreshing to see to see simplicity, but also to, it was definitely done with foodies in mind, but also with people who have done real chefing and. Um, there was actually, I, I do not recall the name of the chef, but there was an actual uh, chef, uh, Roy Che, or Choi, depending on how you like to pronounce it, because it can go both ways. Um, he was a consultant on the film, but eventually became a co-producer, and 
was actually there to make sure that the shots of the food and the shots of the techniques were actually true to form. And having spent time, and I know Tim can definitely attest this too, in the backs of restaurants, doing catering, doing professional events and stuff, um, it was very true to form. They definitely caught the vibe of what it was like to work in a kitchen, to see what happens and how people talk and definitely the amount of drinking, the amount of sex, the amount of uh, overindulgence that happens in a kitchen. That's what it's like to be in a kitchen. So all of those things was just really cool to, to watch. Very colorful um, and just really, really enjoyable. It's not a perfect movie, however. And as much as I enjoyed it, the reliance on technology and Twitter as a plot device, especially when every time a tweet would go out, you'd see a little bird, you know, tweet, tweet, fly, fly away. It was, it's cute the first couple of times, but then it's kind of, you're like, really? Um, and then the narrative of the dad being technologically impaired was, I felt just really overplayed. I understand that there are people like that out there, but... Even in today's day and age, um, I would be pretty hard-pressed to find someone in their 40s, especially in that kind of a culture, in that, in, in that scene, who would just be that ignorant. Um, and so those kinds of things graded. The selfishness that John Favreau's character displays, um, I really felt was... was heartfelt at the beginning like you really felt that this character it was just how he thought it wasn't personal he didn't realize he truly did not see what he was doing when he was ignoring his kid or putting things off to the side or focusing on a career um but by the end of the movie i feel again it was more like a plot device than it just so that you could see an aha moment play out later on uh there is a the, the critic is revealed about halfway through the movie and I really love the actor who plays him and I thought it was a lot of fun and I wish they could have used him more and I'm not going to tell you who it is so for those things I knocked off half a star but even with those things they didn't bother me enough to keep it from being a four and a half star movie 4.5 for me take it away Tim this is a very manipulative movie. Despite it being entertaining and exciting and engaging, you're kind of led down this path of, of no obstacles, really, because once things start kind of moving for this guy about an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, nothing comes, you know, crosses his path. Nothing at all. There are no obstacles, no snags, no delays, nothing for him to overcome, which in a way, kind of felt like a cop-out. and It just it just kind of felt like a cop-out, you know? It's kind of like, well, what... I mean, shouldn't this guy learn anything? And then the ending happened, where you had the over-sentimental ending with the father and the son, you know, everything... But everything is nicely packaged with a pretty little bow. And that's kind of what took me out of this movie. And that is really my only complaint. It's a it's it's perfectly nicely neatly hallmarked uh, 
uh, a card within a lovely packaging that is presented to you, along with beautiful food to look at. And my god, I really wanted a Cubano so bad after watching this movie. And then I started questioning the really shitty Cubanos that I've had in the past. And then I realized, oh wait, I've never had a Cubano in the South. So that is a problem right there that I must fix the next time I'm in Houston in July. But despite that criticism, which should have taken, you know, multiple points or point and a half away from the film, I still give this movie 4.25. It is entertaining, it's lovely, it's funny, it has these interesting little side characters. Even though Sofia Vergara, I mean, him having this beautiful, bodacious wife is a little out there and just a little convenient for the story itself that it seemed a little unlikely and unbelievable. But like how many fairy tales play out, This movie follows in the same footsteps, because in a way, Chef is like a fairy tale. You know, he has to overcome the shit and the hardships, although being a successful chef, you know, there could be things worse than that, I guess. But then, ending up doing what you absolutely love, something that you never could have dreamed to have have achieved... You know, that's what you end up doing, and it's it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I felt for the guy. You know, I'm glad he got to do all this stuff. You know, it was fun to watch again. So, despite everything, I give this movie 4.25. It's entertaining. If you go to movies, or if you watch movies just to watch them, just to be entertained, you'll love this one. So, check it out. Right on, right on. Okay, so that leaves us with Joe. The 2013 Flavor of the Week movie for uh, for Nicolas Cage. It's directed by David Gordon Green, stars Nicolas Cage and Ty Sheridan. Um, it is an adaptation of Larry Brown's 1991 novel of the same name. Um, as far as I'm concerned, this movie... Uh, the first 40 minutes, literally 40 minutes of this movie and it is damn near two hours the first 40 minutes of this movie should have pretty much been called redneck true life with andy sandberg's little brother um because god damn does ty sheridan look like andy sandberg when he would have been like 15 i just i was just like i thought i truly had to stop the movie and go look it up was it the big teeth and the overbite is that what it's just his the whole shape of his face. Look look at a picture of Andy Sandberg and then look at a picture of Ty Sheridan from this movie and you will swear that they're brothers. Um it's very disjointed. Um it is extremely difficult to follow. There is an extreme lack of cohesion to the entire way that the movie is being put together and set up. The thing is, and this is what kept me watching, is I have in my life known rednecks, true rednecks, and have had the pleasure of calling true backwoods, uh, you know, gator hunting, dog fighting, tree killing. <laughs> trailer trash good friends 
And this movie is exactly like what would happen. Literally, you just walk in off the street to have a conversation with somebody and you end up pulling backstrap off a deer that was questionably found in the first place to make steaks. This, this just happens. It, it really and truly does. It, this is just how backwoods life works. Um, and so it kept me watching, even though, be, even though, despite it being so actually true to form that it's disjointing, I kept on going. It took me three days to watch this movie, I won't lie. But once you get past that 40-minute mark, this film really starts to take off. It just, it, I mean, it's, it's finally reached its cruising altitude, and the characters legitimately start to flesh out. Um, the only problem is, is that Joe is played by Nicolas Cage. He is an ex-con who runs a tree-killing company, and he hires other ex-cons and people that low out on the work. <clears throat> uh, this boy, Gary, played by Ty Sheridan, is an abused kid, abused by his homeless, alcoholic father, who is just a sadistic piece of shit. Um, and he only sticks around because he's got a, he's got a sister and a mom to protect and look out for. And so he is this definitely just this kid with a heart of gold, but it is, he is teetering on the edge of following in his dad's footsteps, like it or not. Um, by the time the movie finally gets going and you see this kind of father son dynamic arising out of, uh, Joe and Gary, it's it's feeling really rushed. And I think that would have been better served by drawing that out a little bit earlier in the film. Now, the one surprise for me was the character of Wade, who is uh, Gary's father, played by a gentleman by the name of Gary Poulter, who was an actual homeless man who was hired for this job. And people were actually concerned because he was an alcoholic for real and truly homeless when he was initially hired um, and ultimately was found uh, dead in a pond where homeless people are known to congregate shortly before the movie was released. Um, this guy was scary. I mean, I don't, I don't know that I would, in real life, I don't know that I would have wanted to get on this guy's bad side. Um... And and yet, by the time the movie comes to its fruition and its resolution, all of these characters have really and truly run the path that they could, and they go no further. And that's I think is good. I think I think that's like I, I think if you're gonna do a drop in and a drop out, I think that's the best way to do it because it doesn't leave anything unanswered and it doesn't leave you feeling like well wait what happens next and i remember there was a movie god i wish i could remember the name of the movie tim do you remember the name of the it was in our like in our first episode it was uh robert de niro and ed norton um and mia jovovich um do you remember Oh, God, do you remember that movie? Stone. Stone, thank you. Oh, my gosh, yes, Stone. That movie is an example of, for me, not doing a good job if you're just going to drop in, watch him for a couple of weeks, and jump out. Um, Joe does a much better job of this. 
And so ultimately, I give this one 3.75. There are a lot of redeeming factors to be had in this movie, but there are a lot of mistakes as well. Um, and yet, once you get past that 40-minute mark, I think you've really found a, an enjoyable movie. Uh, a little too a little too fast in some places, but it I mean it truly captures redneck life like nothing I've ever seen. Every from the everything from the deer carcass to the drunk driving, that's the redneck life in Houston. <laughs> well, screw you, Matt, for rating this movie so high and telling all the folks out there in Radioland all the stories about this film that I wanted to tell. And yet again, you leave me with nothing to argue about. Other than that, I give this movie four stars. I really like this movie a lot. This is definitely a step up from David Gordon Green's uh, last film that we we reviewed, uh, Prince Avalanche, for sure. Character-wise, story-wise, pacing-wise, especially. The runtime of this movie really didn't bother me because I was entertained. This is, in my mind, Nicolas Cage's best movie since... Uh, the last movie I can think of that I really liked with him in it is... Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans. Fine acting in this movie. Great playoff between him and Ty Sheridan. And I have to agree, homeless Gary Poulter, you know, he did a great job. That, that I mean, that performance alone is awards material right there for sure. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't get any uh, recognition for any awards show. But this is a really good movie. It's a poignant story. It's it's a character that you've really never seen Nicolas Cage play before. He's He looks great. He definitely looks the part. He has the tattoos. He has the buff arms and the buff build. He's good. He's really, really good. He is not the Nicolas Cage that uh, you'd be expecting. So, again, I give this movie 3.75 out of 5. Wait, you started off by outbidding me. You said it was four stars. And now you're saying it's 3.75? Oh, wait, no. I was reading yours. Four stars. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we have four stars out of five. All right. Well, then here we go. All right, so that's going to close out the movies for us this week. Next week, we've got Kingsman, The Secret Service, which will be found in theaters. And in an interesting little switch to change things up a bit, uh, we've got a couple movies that are on Amazon Prime, not on Netflix. So if you are an Amazon Prime member, then these movies are free for you. Uh, Lock and Under the Skin. So there you go. All right, and that does bring us to the end of the show and brings us to the spiel, does it not, sir? Spiel on. All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLScast.com. No www. You can also send us an email to the show at SLScast.com. You can even uh, follow us on Twitter at the SLScast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at nittwit one two three four. You can climb aboard the Information Superhighway and see if you can trap down Tim on Twitter. And, of course, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. So, until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Piper Laurie, I get to say this. It took a long time, but I have learned that you just can't take anything you want out of life without putting something back in exchange. And this is Tim saying I'll talk to you guys next week. And we'll quit.
Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Remember that you can find us at slscast.com, at the SLS Cast for Twitter, also on Facebook, and you can always subscribe on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.